0: there. Welcome back. I'm Karen Hall, your host of the Hero Within podcast. I'm passionate about sharing inspiring true stories of unsung heroes who've overcome some of life's most challenging adversities. Come along with me and learn how you too can find hope and healing to return to love. I'm so excited for you to hear my new friend, Heather Ashburrows, Share about how she decided to become a school psychologist and follow in her father's footsteps and how this decision has greatly blessed not only her life, but also her children and others with special needs. Heather is an autism specialist currently working as the grants and media coordinator at Homesteads for Hope, a 55-acre community farm in New York in which people with disabilities learn, work, and live alongside other community members who volunteer and support the farm. Heather is married to Jim, and together, they have four special needs children. I remember you made such a huge impact on me. <laughs> and I was just so inspired by your work and how you have advocated for your daughter and now for so many other children and their families with special needs. It's not very common that somebody has no experience in that arena and then is able to have such incredible success and win such a major court case. And so if you want to just go ahead and just tell us a little bit more about you and your background, and I'll let you introduce yourself.
1: Okay. My name's Heather. I live in Rochester, New York, and I've had this wonderful chance through my lifetime just to meet all these different people of all different abilities. My sister has autism and when she was really little, we didn't even know what that word meant i don't even know if they used it when she was younger to be honest and then i went to college and i wanted to be just like my dad and be a school psychologist and i got placed in a classroom full of people like aaron my sister and i remember coming home and telling my dad there's a name for that <laughs> <laughs>
0: and i remember you said that your your dad advocated and so did he advocate for aaron
1: Yeah, I was going to say his advocacy style is much different than the one I have now. Some things for your audience to understand is 1975 was the first time the federal government told schools that anybody could come to school. Before that point, a school could say, we don't do that disability, or that's not something we know how to do. You can just stay home. But in 1975, the federal government said, You have to bring people in with disabilities. My sister was born in 1979. So my dad was still very concerned if we told people that she had autism, that she wouldn't get to go to her neighborhood school, that she wouldn't have normal experiences. So he advocated really hard to keep her in the same school as I was in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he was right, in all honesty, because we didn't know a lot about it then. And she could have been sent away or separated, and she would have never gone on to get her early childhood certification at a local college and all those things that she's accomplished. So that started me in advocacy because people never understood her. (laughs) And then it kind of shot up from there.
0: (laughs) I thought that was so interesting how your dad was such an incredible role model for you and that you even went into the same career as a school psychologist. And so I just think it's awesome that you had that same passion that your dad had for helping.
1: Yeah. And the sad part of that is he got dementia and Parkinson's very early. Mm. At 50, I think he was diagnosed. So Mm. I don't know if he truly appreciated that I followed in his footsteps, but I know now he's looking down, he's proud of me. And sometimes I use that as my push to keep going that, you know, I want him to smile, smile to me and let me know I'm doing the right thing. Because when you're in advocacy and you're pushing really hard against systems that have been there and feel like they won't budge. It's easy to give up. It's easy mm-hmm. to say somebody else will take care of this or I'm too tired. I have four kids that have all different levels of special need and I could definitely play that I'm tired card, <laughs> but it won't get me anywhere. <laughs> you know, I'll have right. time for a midlife crisis sometime, but not now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so you started working as a school psychologist and then tell me more about your life and and what had happened to you that has shaped you into who you are now.
1: Yeah. So I worked as a school psychologist for 16 years. I loved it. It was very, very exciting. And there were so many opportunities at that point in the special needs community. When I had my first daughter and she was very premature, nine weeks early, she only weighed three pounds. I thought, oh, she's going to have special needs. She's actually doing pretty good. My second daughter had special needs right from birth. We knew medically fragile. At that moment, I wasn't in the best marriage, and a lot of this was on me. I thought, even though this is hard, it will be okay. And sadly, 10 years later, those resources and options are gone. 70% of adults with disabilities are at home. They don't have a group home. They don't have an alternative setting to live at. They're with their aging parents, and 70% of people since COVID have not returned to a program during the day they're still isolated.
0: That's really interesting because I can see how they would be more isolated anyway, but now it's just compounded with COVID and without the resources. That's huge. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And when you think about how hard it was on us when Mm -hmm. we couldn't leave the house, some of the individuals with developmental disabilities haven't left their bedrooms. They don't have enough staff to go to doctor's appointments or to go out into the community. And I I don't know if you saw the Surgeon General just came out with a warning or a statement about isolation. And loneliness. Yeah. Yes. It hit me so hard because being lonely and separated from people is worse for your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah. And all these people who are just stuck in that situation. But it's not up to them. And that's why it's up to us. We do have the voice to speak up. And I used to be so shy.
0: That's <laughs> I, so hard I would... to believe. <laughs> <laughs> How did you move from being so shy to doing this advocacy work? Because I know you've been testifying in front of the Senate committees. Tell me more yep, about that. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And when I was in high school and college, when the teacher would say my name for attendance, I'd be like,
0: here.
1: I've always felt confident inside, but publicly, I didn't have a loud voice. I was the sweet person in the background, kind of coordinating things, but not being loud. But then when things happened with my daughter, with her school district, she's non-speaking and she had a service dog that helped her with seizures and walking and all these wonderful things. For some reason, the school district decided that they weren't going to accommodate that. That if I wanted the dog to come to school, her one-to-one aide and her one-to-one nurse were not allowed to talk to the dog because she couldn't
0: talk to the dog.
1: And no matter how I told them that it was discrimination and that they were using her disability against her, they wouldn't back down. So I did all the steps. I was a school psychologist. I called for the meetings. I did the impartial hearing. They still wouldn't budge. Then I had to start talking at board of education meetings, shaking. <laughs> like, just There's hundreds of people there. It wasn't like a handful of people. It was my baptism by fire. right? Like I didn't have a choice. I had to speak up. They still didn't listen. So then I got a billboard and I put it in front of the school and I'm like, everyone who drives by is going to see what they're doing. They still didn't budge. But When I did the billboard, it did attract the attention of some local attorneys, and they started helping me. And we got New York State Education to suspend their funding. They said, you need to change what you're doing. It's not okay. And that was really, really exciting. And then they still didn't back down. And then the United States of America, the Department of Justice, told them they had to change what they were doing. They said no.
0: Wow. Wow. And, And was the media involved yet? were you getting interviewed?
1: Then it became a national covered story because we were setting a legal precedent for the country. So then it wasn't just about Devin and her dog. It was about every child who needed accommodations in school. And the attorney general had said, districts can't say we don't do this, which that's how we started this interview. We said that in 1975. Right. Like, you know. <laughs> Why are we still arguing for the same thing? But we did. We had to argue all over again. And it was very exciting, but it took eight years in federal court. Oh,
0: my word. Like you said, the energy and the time that you had to spend, it would have been so easy to have said, let somebody else worry about that. Oh, well, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What gave you the courage, first of all, to use your voice when that was so scary. And second of all, to continue persevering.
1: And in the middle of all this, I was getting a divorce. I was a single mom with two little ones that they took a lot of energy just to do that and just to do my usual job. But the more I talked to people, the more I realized that not everybody has that bravery. They feel Mm -hmm. it and they want to, but they can't. They can't break that down. And I thought, I've already broken that barrier down. I'm talking, I'm going to keep going. And people are like, you should sue them, like me personally sue them. I'm like, yeah, I could make money, but big deal if it just changes my life. I want everybody to benefit from it. So when the United States Department of Justice said, we'll team up with you, I took them up on it. Now they told me, they warned me the wheels of justice turn slowly. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, you know, I've already been in this for a couple of years, no big deal. Eight years later, I was like, wow, this is really very extensive. And I want people to understand something because making the decision to stand up is important. But what comes next is you're going to automatically get pushed back. It's just how people react. Humans, when you call them out, they defend their position. They dig in. And that's exactly what Gauge Child I did, the school district. They just dug in. They were like the taller. They were not going to budge. And it made me so mad. But by them being stubborn, they like made it more concrete. What they were doing is wrong. They didn't wiggle, they didn't waver, they didn't give a little. They stood firm. And it was actually easier in the long run. But man. For people who don't like confrontation or people who don't like to rock the boat, I was just like, why are they doing this? The government, the people who wrote Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA law, they're telling you you're doing it wrong. Why would you not listen to them? Yeah, but you have to keep going. You have to expect the pushback. And that's my biggest thing for people. I tell them, you're going to make the decision. You're going to feel pumped and then expect the sucker punch right to the stomach, like expect it and then move on.
0: <laughs> oh, that is so great because so many times I get sideswiped by things like that. And I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. And it can yeah. be a definite distraction. It can be deflating. It can be so frustrating that sometimes our, oh. our focus moves to dealing with the rejection or the obstacle instead of how to move forward.
1: And people will say like, oh, it's a signal from God. I should be pushing. I should take a step back. Mm -mm. God made you strong and he's testing you. He wants to make sure that you believe it enough to keep going. Uh Because then you have his backing, right? And you're showing the world what you're passionate about and what you believe. And when you don't step back, you can move a mountain. But I'll tell you something, As I moved through the process, the way I thought about the whole court case did change. And they would throw that back at me and they'd say, that's not what you said eight years ago when you testified eight years ago. And I said, guess what? I learned new things. I grew, I evolved, and I can appreciate things in a new light. I know things I didn't know then. Yeah. You don't have to always have the same exact perspective as long as your heart is always in the right place. You can grow, you can change. When Mm -hmm. we learn something, we should be modifying the way we look at things. That should be our goal.
0: Right. Oh, that's so awesome. And I just love that perspective of helping people have an accurate expectation (laughs) about what's going forward, but to continue Mm -hmm. their focus on their passion, you know, to help. Right. And I I love your unselfishness, how it wasn't just your daughter for the dog for Devin. That wasn't the only Mm -hmm. thing that you were fighting for. Because you could have easily just said, I'll let the other people worry about their kids. But how beautiful that you persevered so much and and mm-hmm. had the courage to let your voice be heard, especially in the middle and- of going through a divorce and being a single mother. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. But
1: I found my people, when you're in those moments, some of my family, they respected my decision, but they couldn't stand with me. They're not public, they're private, whatever the case may be. But complete strangers became my inner circle. They cheered me on. People from all over the country, all over the world. At one point, I sold t-shirts because I wanted to have enough money for my billboard. <laughs> and people <laughs> from 26 countries bought t-shirts.
0: Wow. Wow. Like
1: people are really listening to me. They want to know what's going to happen next. How could I possibly give up? you know, there's oh. these people who counting on me. So now okay. Devin can can reflect on that. She's 16 now. So this started when she was going into kindergarten. And now she's still non-speaking, but we've started spelling with her with a letter board. And she's getting some of those things out. And she's answering questions that we always wondered how she thought about things. And I think the fact that Gates Child Life School District had said she was not worthy of an accommodation that she was too delayed, too profoundly disabled to be worthy of that accommodation. It just is more proof that sometimes on the surface, what a person looks like, it's not accurate. Mm -hmm. We have to leave room for that. We have to presume competence and push and elevate people instead of using their disability as a reason we don't help them.
0: Oh. When I when I saw your post about Devin and the spelling and they said how did you feel when people assumed that you weren't intelligent and she said I wanted to just scream
1: <laughs> and you're like
0: oh and this yeah. is
1: a little girl who from the outside would look very immature you know she's chewing on a chewy she's very oral sometimes is drooling if she had a seizure She always has Curious George on her iPad, so when people see her, they assume that means that cognitively, she's very delayed. She's using Curious George in a completely different way. She knows every season, every episode. If she wants to say something, she can literally go, oh, that's in season 13, episode 10, at the 15-minute mark, and she'll play, I'm going to miss you so much. And She just plays that one sentence, and I'm like, how smart is that?
0: Yeah. To memorize all the seasons. Oh my goodness. It's all here. And she just, you see her move
1: through all the things. And that's why if something changes on her iPad, she's lost because that's her strategy. She didn't understand typing and I didn't get it because I just knew she knew how to spell. She would play with the magnetic letters. She would do all these things. I'm like, I know it's in there. I know it's in there. But what they're finding is people with autism that are non-speaking, when you hold it straight up, they can see it. When you have it flat, it's harder for their motor system to see it. So when you think about a keyboard, it's flat. When we put a ditto or a worksheet in front of them, it's flat. I told our teacher, just for fun, put things on an easel, on a slant board. Boom. She's like, whoa, she can do so many things. I thought, oh, my gosh, it was her... Her visual motor system. Wow. We just didn't know.
0: How inspired of you to even suggest such a thing. I would never think to suggest that for my child. You were really inspired to say, let's just try this thing. Try <laughs> it.
1: But another mama brought it up. I love social media because that's how I learned about spelling. There was a woman all the way in California who said, anybody who has a non speaking loved one, read this book. And it was the book is underestimated. And it's an autism miracle. And it's this father starts the book and the boy is just like Devin. And I had chills, crying. I'm like, I can't read this. I don't want to know how it ends. By the end of the book, the son is writing the book with him. My word. Young man who was banging his head and sent home from school, all those self-injurious behaviors. And now he's in a movie that just came out called Spellers. He is so incredibly intelligent. We know that their bodies don't cooperate. We understand it, but with autism, we assume that they mean to repeat the silly phrases or to move their hands a certain way. We just think they're doing it purposefully. And this whole method shows you they're trapped too. Sometimes their body is just not cooperating. They can't move the pencil. They can't, your motor is how you speak. And if your motor system is delayed, you cannot push the air out to speak. The only two sounds Devin makes are laughing and crying. No other sounds. Every now she said, hey, <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. But most of the time she's silent. And I can't imagine going through life, having so many ideas and understanding such complex things. And then people talking to you like you're a baby all the time. Oh, I just, it's so degrading. I brought her to Ohio. There was a spelling to communicate practitioner. And she said to Devin, I know how smart you are. And I know your body doesn't cooperate. And I'm going to show you this letter board. And I'm going to teach you how to move your arm. And you're going to be able to tell us what you're thinking and feeling. Devin, one tear rolled down her cheek. She hugged her. And she took off her shoes, which means she's comfortable. So she read her this whole really complex passage. And I thought the whole time, Oh, my gosh, like she's been learning her colors and numbers and letters for the last 16 years. Like she has not been exposed to this kind of content. And she said, now, Devin, we talked about a very destructive natural event that occurred in that passage. What's another word for that? And Devin spelled cataclysmic correctly.
0: Oh, my word. word.
1: I looked at my husband and I was like, oh my gosh. Like it was just like tears because we knew it was there. We just didn't know the depth of it. Mm -hmm. And now no one talks baby talk to her. No one. Because we know if you could spell cataclysmic, the second word she spelled was like palatable. I have to spell check those. I don't know how to spell them. How did she
0: know? It is amazing. And so interesting what you're saying because We judge things from our own experience, and so, like you said, somebody that's drooling and isn't speaking, we don't think that there's intelligence and understanding. And yet, all that she was absorbing,
1: always had like three things on, right? You know, like she's got two iPads going, the TV's going. She might have a podcast running on a phone nearby, and you think, what in the world is she doing? I think she's absorbing all of it. I think if you can't talk and be part of the conversation. You'd go crazy if you weren't concentrating on other things, you're trying to keep your mind active. Mm-hmm. You're trying not to be idle. You know, you're trying to keep things sharp. And what patience? I mean, I can complain about the challenges I face, but the amount of patience and faith that things will get better. Because if you didn't have faith, she would have never even try to touch that letter board. Oh, exactly. so she, she knew that this was her chance. It's so amazing.
0: (laughs) It is so amazing. And what's also amazing is your faith. I mean, for you to have the faith to keep going forward, to work with the DOJ, to read the book. Underestimated, to (laughs) go and be with the woman about the spelling board. You had so much faith too, because you believed in her and and you knew. You said, I knew she had that intelligence in there. And and as a mother, it's like we can see things that other people can't see when our kids. That's so beautiful. So beautiful.
1: And it's the same thing as the court case. I could stop with just her, but I can't. I have to let other people know because if there's a way to unlock your child's voice, we have to do it. They're calling it a revolution. The people who spell call themselves spellers, and there's spellers all over the country. I feel like this will be the big turning point for autism for people who are non speaking because. We had so many assumptions that we got to toss out.
0: <laughs> it's so true. And the exponential growth of people that have autism amazes me. I was looking at the statistics. And so it seems like everybody is going to be touched by autism in some way or another. And to change those perceptions and to remove the stigma and the discrimination in many cases, we just don't have the experience and the understanding. In takeaways from this episode, I was so amazed at how Heather went from being so shy To later advocating for her daughter and testifying before Senate committees and groups of thousands. Didn't you feel empowered to stand up and speak like Heather? Stay tuned for part two, where Heather describes the working farm, Homesteads for Hope, and how she continues to help those with special needs to learn skills to become gainfully employed and to offer support to the entire family. Thanks for listening. I know you're busy. Did you know that you help spread the love by leaving a review and following? This helps increase our visibility so people can find us online. I really appreciate your help. I'm wishing you lots of love in your own hero's journey.